Hey everybody, Eric here. I hope you've all had as much fun listening to this season as I know we all had making it. And I have to say, I think this finale might be my favorite one yet. Before we get there though, I want to let you know that, though we have a new season coming in a few weeks, if you just can't get enough of 1895 Paris and the Yellow King, we have a treat for you coming exclusively to Patreon. Every Friday in January, we'll be releasing an episode of a four-episode winter special featuring two new members of the art student scene in Paris, and the events surrounding a blizzard that hits Paris in late February, just a few days after the events of Season 1. The story is inspired by a blog post from Yellow King RPG creator Robin D. Laws called Snowy Streets, Icy Hearts, which can be found on the Pelgrane Press website, and stars two Nature of My Game veterans, from Season 1 and Season 4, Sarah Lovejoy, and also from Season 4, Lindsay Brown. You aren't going to want to miss this story and miss meeting these characters, who are bound to make a return. Assuming they survive, of course. Subscribe to our Patreon at the Hope You Guessed My Name tier to get access, along with our Thanksgiving fiasco special, and a fiction compilation from every season of the Nature of My Game podcast so far. Okay, that's all for now, so sit back, relax, and enjoy the season finale of The Grand Illusion. Previously on the Nature of My Game podcast. Something in, in the back of her brain says, oh, maybe it's just a ghost. Maybe this whole thing is just a lovely ghost story. He doesn't just teach me. He he whispers the power to sing into my lungs. Svikara, I think that's the bravest thing I've heard all day. And I am, I am desperate to stop this from happening to anyone else. And I don't want anything to happen to you. But when he teaches me, he, he takes me somewhere somewhere else. It's hard even for me to remember sometimes where it is. In my head, I just see a white sky and black stars. Regardless, if you're there, we will be there. We'll not be alone. The relief upon seeing Francis is almost overwhelming. I don't believe any of us should hesitate if the time comes to find a permanent end to this. If, as we suspect, we are going to go to this opera house and see this masked figure take a soprano underneath the opera house into God knows what. What the hell do you put in a satchel that'll help you navigate the God knows what part? You see, all of a sudden, the chandelier break from the ceiling and start falling directly toward Francis and Monty. Paris, July 10th, 1895. The Duc de Rudier walked up to his apartment on Avenue Montaigne, arm in arm with a young woman whose name he could never quite remember. Was it Adele? Adelina? He couldn't be bothered enough to care, and she didn't seem to mind that he didn't know. Finally, he would have a chance to relax, to unwind. He was beginning to wonder if the thrill of his opera box was worth the hassle. It felt like everyone at the Palais Garnier these days was incompetent, and he certainly didn't need the box to get away with his trysts anymore. He had plenty of places he could go, including this apartment. The young woman smiled up at him as he opened the door to the apartment. He smiled back, but it only reached his lips. Anyone looking into his eyes knew the smile was forced. But he would be content soon. They went in, and the Duke began to move toward where he stored the wine in his apartment when he noticed, for the first time, that a candle was already lit in a side room, his office. Even though he rarely conducted business out of this apartment, it served other, more personal purposes. He occasionally needed a place where things were quiet, and so he had set up the side room as just such a place. But why was a candle lit? He surely hadn't left it lit, had he? He told the young woman, was it Adelphi? To wait, and made his way over to the side room. He peeked inside and audibly gasped. Sitting at his desk was a man dressed in a fine suit and wearing a pale white mask over his face. The Duke wondered for a moment if he would have the chance to move for a weapon, but he knew deep down that it was of no use. He was a coward, he had always been a coward, and he knew he had no chance of fighting off whoever this was. He called on the only tactic that he could think of, one that had worked for him more often than any other. Intimidation. How dare you break into my apartment, you foul beast! What kind of creature are you, wearing that mask and coming here to threaten me? He hoped that his tone sounded commanding, and didn't betray the fear that he felt. Though the man wore a mask, the Duke thought he could sense a smile as the man spoke to him. Send the girl away, and then come back and sit down, you old fool. You have something that I require. 
All right, so we left our characters in a very perilous position. Wee, of, wee bit of a pickle. Of a chandelier falling down on Francis <laughs> and Monty. So I'm going to keep our banter short and sweet. Is everyone going to survive? What do you no. think? <laughs> no, I don't. All right, lots of no's, lots of no's. Okay, say more. Hmm. I'm 12 feet above the stage. They're about to have a thing. Like, there's so many things that could go wrong. Here, there's a dead body three <laughs> feet to the left of me. I mean, there's just, we're... <laughs> I will say this. I have a lot of faith in all three of us as competent RPG players. Sure. That we will make the most of what we can do to maximize our chances of survival. Now that said, it's still a horror role-playing game. Uh, so... I mean, I we could very easily one of us could go. So I, I feel like the odds are against all three of us surviving, which yeah. is why well. I say you know I think I think one of us might die. But I do have faith in the three of us to make our chances as good as they can be. Because we're playing Sorry. the Yellow King, though, you could just say, "Oh, I'm going to spend my points and not die," because this <laughs> game. I, I don't. <laughs> Mikey thinks this game is too easy, which I'm, I'm very curious to see how that goes in this episode. It's, I was say, this is—he's tempting fate here. He kind of is, but I, I mean, I, I mean, on on his side, only Monty has one shot card. Is that correct? Your continuity card. Nobody else has any cards yes. at the moment. Right? One. See, here I was, like, what, twenty minutes ago, thinking, "Wow, like I'm sitting, I'm sitting pretty, aren't I? I got like no shots, I got no injury. Woo, I'm golden!" And uh, then a big golden thing we, started. Falling. I have the feeling this is risk of like major injury cards. Yeah, well, that would, yeah, that would happen. So, <laughs> be, yeah, for sure. I will. I would protest out of character if it's like. Okay, so the chandelier falls on you and you get lightly scratched. No, a chandelier <laughs> fell directly on somebody's head. I recognize that we wanted, that every, nobody wants to die, that we don't want that, but like, come on now, folks. Yeah. It's all going to be dependent on the roll. It'll be dependent on the roll yeah. and how much we succeed on the roll by, at least in theory. Yeah, that how is much true. you spend on it. Mm hmm. All how right. much do we so, have to spend? Yeah, yeah, true. That's true, too. That's true, too. Maybe I don't I make you make enough rolls. Maybe that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, well, we, should have to like... at least, we should have to convince you that mm. we we can spend it. If I say to you I want to spend three points, right? If I was to say I want to spend three points, and you say, why do you think you'd be three points more ready for this? If I say, <laughs> well, because I hear the chandelier, I got a good ear. At least that I'm telling you something. <laughs> I've just been sitting here hoping whatever the hell this role is, is not going to be a sense trouble, considering I spent all of my sense trouble skills to, like, have a nice conversation with a sad lady. Like <laughs> make sure there wasn't a monster inside. <laughs> I think what it really comes down to is... When do you feel comfortable that the end is close enough that you can start spending? Because if you start spending too Fair. early, true, yeah, it's mm -hmm. it's true. all gonna be over for you. <laughs> I yeah, for for me, I feel like we're in the stretch. At least in yeah. my feeling is we're in the stretch where we can start spending a little more liberally. But we'll see. We shall yeah, see. Because, well, we haven't had a lot, like you said. I mean, that's not because of the. the it's just been the nature of the story. There's been yeah. not. There haven't been a lot of roles over the course of this season. It's just been the way the story's been going. It's not been because anyone's not doing it. Or, like, it's just, yeah. there's and not fairness, been scenarios. We have gotten lucky on some key roles. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. so the couple of really important ones. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, Mikey, that there's, that we are, there are two modes of play in the Yellow King RPG. There is um, horror mode, which is what we're playing, which is mm -hmm. the third card in your loss. There's also a cult mode which it takes four for you to be lost. So that there's an even easier version. <laughs> it's nice to know that there's a game for babies if babies would like to have a podcast. Aww. I'm still just super frustrated because I watched, I, I, and again, I have my theories, but I watched someone play this game and make a mockery of, of the idea of mortal danger by just, there was a bird monster and he was like, and I pirouette away and I turn off the, and I was like, this game. <laughs> That was no. That was Call of Cthulhu. That was Call of Cthulhu. That was this. You have to understand. <laughs> yeah, that Mike was is a Cthulhu. hardcore like Elden Ring player. Like yeah. he wants. He Damn. only wants pure challenge in his games. If I if I beat a game in in an hour or actually a month, I don't like it. It's not hard enough for me. <laughs> I only like to be truly challenged to the point of saying things like when Tommy, Tyler, and I play Elden Ring and one of us would be like, I don't like this game. This isn't fun. I'm frustrated. This is a miserable experience. Ah, from software, you've done it again. 
<laughs> See, this is my thing with video games, right? Because I'm terrible at video games. And I know that there are so Same. many, like, truly excellent games of stories that, like, are really compelling and complicated. And I would love to be able to do that. And I know I cannot. They possibly. started, and, and I, because Tommy's being a little bit untruthful i i get very frustrated <laughs> in video games real fast and i want them to be real easy but there are a lot of games now that have a mode and i it's one of those things that like I, i'm sure there are people online who complain about it but i always think it's great there is story mode in a lot of these huge <laughs> rpg games like god That's of war and and even like the elder elder scrolls games you can turn down the slider and like you can just kind of live the story of the game with very minimal need to strategize and, and do combat. And I think that for a video game, that's great. Yeah. For this kind of game, who wants this to be easy? Come on. We want it to be difficult. <laughs> we shall see whether this ends up being easy. Oh. Um, we Where we left our <laughs> artists, our American artists in Paris is... Donald is up in the in the vents in the in the ventilation shafts looking around. He just found the what looks to be the weeks dead body of potentially the Duc de Rudier. And as he's looking out through a grate out onto the stage and into the into the the opera house, he sees the giant chandelier break loose and start plummeting down right on top of Francis and Monty. And so Francis and Monty, we are going to be doing. Uh-huh. I know you've been you've been yeah. waiting to know what kind of check this uh-huh. is going to be. We're going to be doing an athletics check okay. to see whether you can dodge out of the way of this chandelier. Um, so let's talk about point spends first, and then we'll roll. Uh oh, I will use all I of mine. Cockily being like, I'm actually really good at athletics. That's one of the one of my higher pools. And then I looked and realized I only had one point left to spend. <gasps> Well, because I think you spent the trying to chase down Celeste back. Yes, I did, and I still (laughs) failed at that. (laughs) You spent enough. I mean, I I have three. To ramp up the... Yeah, to ramp up the drama, let's hold off on Monty. Let's start with Francis. So, Francis, how many would you like to spend? Three. Okay. (laughs) Smart. Uh Uh, Go ahead and roll. Oh, okay. I don't want Monty to die. Okay. Everything's fine. Okay. And as as you're rolling, just a reminder of the rules. So if you pass the test, you take no card. If you fail by one, you will take a minor card. And if you fail by more than one, you will take a major card. Mm-hmm. Just for the for the sake of the stakes. Sure. Ooh, okay, that's a four plus three. That's seven. That's a seven. Okay. I won't tell you whether that's a success or not, but Oh um, Okay, great. But, sure. But, fine. but Monty, go ahead. You <laughs> how many would you like to spend of your one? One. Yeah, none. <laughs> He's running the risk. He's feeling great. Great roll. <laughs> Double down. <sighs> All right. Oh come on. It's not great. It's not as it's not horrible, but it's not great. I rolled a three, Ooh. so a four in total. Okay. Four oh. in total. Okay. So. Okay. Donald, you see this chandelier falling. Do you react? Do you say anything? What do you do? I scream. Move. <laughs> I hope they can hear me because I see it's going right for them so I just start yelling move 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 Francis hears it first and Francis you are able to kind of slide down an aisle of seats and out of the way but I think Monty maybe you're momentarily distracted by making sure that Francis gets out of the way mm-hmm. and you do you avoid the full brunt of the chandelier but it still does catch you to a degree. And so you had, the, the number was five, and so you got a four. So you're going to take the minor injury card from this chandelier, which is called Glass Shards. I, I like the idea that, that Mike was just joking about, oh, you just get scratched. And I got sort of the equivalent of yeah, that. Yeah, you kind of got scratched. <laughs> we, got glass shards. There, we were warned. We were warned. There's an in-game Yes, there was, it made sense. That, yes, that, yes, exactly. That is no problem with that. As long as it makes sense. Holy. So I just put it into the season five chat. So you want to read that out for us, Tommy? Sure. Glass shards is a minor injury. Minus one on your next physical test. Anytime after that test, discard with a difficulty three health success. So it will inhibit your bad. next physical test bad. and then you can try to get rid of it. 
Yeah, that's not bad at all. I thought someone was going to get completely smooshed. I am very relieved right now. (laughs) Obviously, in this moment, chaos, terror, very bad. Do we think... I don't... Is it... I imagine one looks up when one sees a chandelier coming down. Is there any chance that one of us, any of us, Donald from his spot, or Monty or I, saw anything above the chandelier like a shadowy masked figure? In fact, (gasps) when you look up, perhaps your relief is brief. Because you see from the hole where the chandelier was dropped... A rope swings down <gasps> out of that <gasps> hole. <gasps> and a man wearing a suit and just a mask over his face is holding the rope in one arm and holding what looks like potentially Celeste's God unconscious body damn. over his shoulder in the other arm and swings down and gracefully lands cool. on the stage and opens up a trapdoor. And jumps down through it. <laughs> Damn it! Um, I mean, Francis will look at Monty. Uh, are you okay? Can I just like start to push myself up? I hate the theater. <laughs> are you all right, Francis? I'm fine, D- Donald. <sighs> I mean, should we? Is everyone Donald? all right? We're, we're fine. We'll, uh, we'll be okay. Did you see that man? I saw him go down on the, the trap door on the stage. Can you get down here? I think we have to follow now, if we can. I, I, I'll try. Yes, yes, I'll try. Go, go, go. Okay. All right, I'll, I'll grab you and, and try to, like, help you up. If I don't know how it, where this injury has manifested itself, but... Yeah, where where are my where are the glass where are shards? Right shards? The I got hit by. Just like sort of it's like Forrest Gump. It's right in the butt. It's pretty funny. Yeah. It's, you know, it plays, yeah, it's it played like, for laughs. I was gonna say you, yeah, maybe you were diving out of the way, and so it like it catches like the like your your calf and your like foot and ankle area. So like that whole you're, you're like limping a little okay. bit because it's okay. You've like cut uh, cut into like close near some tendons there. Slow me down a little, but we we do have to catch up with that man. Did he was that Celeste that he had over his shoulder? I think it was. I, damn it. All right. So, are you gonna wait for Donald, or are you gonna try to chase after him? I think if he if he is going, we have to go. I don't think we, we can have to wait. Go. I yeah, think I think and I saw where they're going, going, so I yeah, I'll know where they're where they went. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, worst comes to worst, I'll try to drop things out of my satchel and leave you a trail. Yeah. <laughs> Kleenex, not Kleenexes, handkerchiefs, half a croissant. So as Donald um, races back through, back through the crawlaways to try to get back out where he can get back down to the box and back to the group, Francis and and Monty take off toward the stage and try to jump back, jump down through the the trapdoor. Is that right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think we have to. Yep. Yeah. We can't we do anything open else. Open the trap door, and I will just take. Like, well, once we get down there, if we get down there safely or successfully, I can also take papers out of my, um, you know, that uh, the little like journal that I carry on me, and just rip pages out and just leave them as we go, as a sort of path. Breadcrumbs. Yeah, I think we will open the trap door. <sighs> well. Ladies first, and then I'll dive down in. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so you both head down through the trap door. I think your ankle gives a little bit, Monty, as you Mm. land. It's feeling, you're really feeling the the pain of this wound that you have. Kingdom for a tincture here. (laughs) Yeah, you could use a tincture. (laughs) And it's dark down below the stage. It takes you a few moments to kind of get your bearings and try to see what it is that you're seeing down there. As Donald had suggested, there are these large deus ex machina like machines down there and so it's it's a bit of an alarming sight actually because there are these like large contraptions down here and you look around trying to get your bearings trying to see where this masked man went and just as it closes you see a a trapdoor leading even further down below close I, well, I guess we, we run up to it God help yeah. us if there's any sort of like traps to keep people from 
from following this guy, but I don't think we have time to waste. Yeah, can we see what the mechanism is to open this trap door? Is, there, is it just a, some sort of handle or, or something like that? Or is it is it like a seam in the, in the floor that is sealed and we have to figure out a way to open it? So as you're moving toward the trap door, I think Donald is jumping out of the grates into the box and kind of sprinting down the hallway, trying to get back downstairs and down the main aisle. And as Francis and Monty come up to the trapdoor, you've seen many of the, the grates and the trapdoors and doors are, are, they all have this liar uh, icon on them, but this one is different. The first thing that you notice, of course, is that wretched orchid smell that seems to be coming up through this trapdoor. And instead of the liar design that you've seen throughout the building, this trapdoor bears the image of an enameled white mask. But it does look like there's a handle that you could reach up and, or you could reach down and open up. I think you also probably at this moment hear Donald running across the stage. So he's close. Down here. Yeah, I'll call, we'll call out to him. Don! He opens the trapdoor, he pops down. Yeah, I'm going to grab my skirt in my hand just in case and like try to see if I can open it with my skirt as like a, I don't know, a, a thing separating my hand from Just that. covering your hand. God, I mean, God, I don't know, man. Sure. <laughs> Why not? Does it open? It does open. Great. And it seems to lead, drop down into what looks like a dimly lit hallway down below you. Now, I, I'm assuming there's some sort of ladder or something. It's not just a opening drop down. There is a ladder in this case, yes. Unlike <laughs> okay. unlike the one unlike the one that you dropped through before, where someone else probably would have moved a ladder to the correct mm -hmm. trap door. There is a ladder sure. leading down here, yes. Okay. You know, I used to love a dimly lit hallway. It doesn't doesn't make any sense that there would be just a, a hallway that, that we should be going towards sewer systems, crypts. I don't know, but we we maybe this uh, perhaps this leads into those systems. Maybe this is sim something Workers simply just tunnel. off of those sim systems and leads back into the sewers. Let's go. I suppose so. All right. Oh, the Duke is dead, by the way. Oh! <laughs> Why well, am I not surprised? I wish I could say I was, too. I look forward to telling his wife. Before they go down, Monty, uh, Donald really quick turns to Monty. And says, I, there was a substance, the body gave off no smell. Have you ever seen anything quite like this before? I have the pink. I'll take a look at it, but no. Yeah. I, I, right. I have uh, ingested a number of substances, <laughs> but this is not familiar to me. Well, I don't think we should sample this one just yet. No. All right. Uh, if someone doesn't mind uh, uh, helping me a little bit as I, we go down these, uh, course. this ladder. No. Yes. Down Ladies first. I climbed down the ladder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at hallway, ahoy! Yeah, so you you all get down the ladder, and you are now in a long, narrow hallway, and it seems to snake far up ahead of you. Mm -hmm. um, the ceiling's about six feet high. Or do are either Monty or Donald taller than six foot tall? Do you think? No, I believe Donald I is like yeah so. five ten. Yeah. Okay. So he's just yeah. scraping his head. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little it's a little uncomfortable, and it's wide enough that you can walk two abreast. So, is how are how are you formed as you're going? Not that that matters, of course, but you know you know how are you? What formation are you in? I feel like I'm playing D and D again. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, do, do we think that Monty needs help? Like, should someone be beside him? My guess him? would be Monty and Francis are walking mm -hmm. together behind Don, because Don okay. would he doesn't mind going first, and and he does. Monty does need help, and you don't want the guy who's walking in front to also be holding a body. Fair. Off we go. Hopefully there's not like seven doors. <laughs> so Donald's in front. Yeah, he's mm -hmm. he's in front. He's got the gun. He's already got the gun out. And with Francis and I ne next to each other behind. Yeah. All right. So you start to walk and you walk and you walk and you walk and 10 or 15 minutes go by. The floor seems to be moving downward, right? The whole, there, there seems to be a slight decline as you move. And it's, it's very strange. And I think for both Donald and Francis, Donald because of your architecture ability and Francis because of your intuition, something very strange is going on because you have gone way too far to still be beneath the opera house. 
And if you're not beneath the opera house, you should have met up with the sewer system. But neither of those things has happened. (laughs) It's happening. Okay. Whoever we are chasing must have some incredible resiliency, not only to be able to make this particular journey, but he carries Celeste. He's carried her this entire way, and he, based on her, what she said about before, what you shared that she had said, I mean, it sounds like he does this, what, every night? Every, every time there's a performance? Something like it. All I know is that it's, whatever this is, wherever we're going, it is not supposed to be where it is. (sighs) It's a bit of a theme, isn't it? Um, I'm going to need all of you to make me a composure check since something is obviously very, very wrong with this pathway that you're walking along. I don't, have I spent composure? Do we remember? Oh, I don't know. I don't I've think I've had a, a composure. I have done no, I don't think you, twice a composure roll myself. You, wait, who who read... Someone read the play with me. You. Yeah, yeah actually, you both yeah, did then. Both, both of you read the play, and I, I also, didn't spend Donald, anything. did you spend anything to keep your composure when you realized that you may have played a role in Albert's death, though? I'm trying to remember. That's what I'm trying to remember right now. Because I remember saying Donald doesn't spend anything for the play because he thinks it's stupid. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah. I'm, I, I don't remember because I don't really remember rolling that many times, to be completely honest. Yeah. I mean, I have six. I'm will- I'll am will. i just say I have four. We could just say I use two. That's fine. I don't, I'm not going to use all six anyway. I do feel like I remember you saying something like, Donald's keeping things together pretty well at this point, so I think I think a, t- a two-point spend probably makes sense for that. Yeah, that um, would make that... That's fine. I'll go from six to four. All right, so let's, let's actually start with you, because I think you, from an architecture standpoint, are maybe the first person to realize that, like, where you're going should not be where it is. Yeah, okay, so I will... I'm going to spend two. We'll consider that the architecture boost. Love it. (laughs) Four plus two is six. Okay. And then I think, Francis, you're probably next. (sighs) Just something feels wrong about this. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to decide because I have three, but I think Francis is really upset, like... She has, it's not quite drunk girls crying in a bathroom together kind of bond, but it's very near. <laughs> it's pretty pretty close to that, yeah. So she's she's very upset. Um, I'm not going to spend the whole three. Hell, I'm going to spend one because I am rattled. Let's see. Ah, okay. Well, that was a five plus one, so that's a six. Nice. Both of us got sixes. It's the bond protecting me. Yeah. Monty, I think it takes you a minute, maybe, but you start to see the looks on on Francis and Donald's faces and realize that something is something is very wrong here. So go ahead and roll me a composure check as well. I'll spend one, which will leave me with one. Okay. <sighs> I rolled a five. Wow. All right. Very lucky again. Three sixes. Six, six, six. Roll <gasps> 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 another composure check. <laughs> And then you need another. <laughs> the <meta> composure. <laughs> okay. So you continue moving through. You haven't heard footsteps or anyone running up ahead. Even when you pick yeah, up your pace, you I don't, don't like seem that. to be catching up to anyone. And at a certain point, you reach what seems to be the end of the corridor. And you see a brass door marked with that same mask emblem you saw on the hatch. I really don't like masks. No. Certainly don't think a closed door has ever stopped us before, so Donald goes to open it. And as you start to move toward it, Donald, the whole hallway seems to warp a little bit, and it seems like it is just out of reach for you. (gasps) Roll me another composure check. Oh my. Uh, I'm not going to spend any because this would not be expected. Mm Mm-hmm. One. Oh boy, that is a one. <laughs> one, folks, one. <laughs> it's the giddy heights down all the way to the ones. Should have oh spent. Boy. This game's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Too easy. We're not supposed to Too fail checks. Too hard. Yeah, it's ridiculous. <laughs> trying to play a game here. Trying to oh, win. No. And Donald, you are going to receive a minor shot card here that I think you maybe made reference to... In season one, it's called Reality Collapse. Oh. 
Yes, I think that yeah. does sound Minor? familiar. That sounds really familiar. I think I had it. You may have. Or well, the, your reality yeah. is collapsing again. <laughs> oh, dear. All right, so reality collapse. Shock. Uh, minus two to sense trouble tests. Lose one health each time you make a push. Trade for must have been a hallucination on a success that restores normality to the world. Very nice. Lovely. All right, so I think you reach out for the handle of this door with the mask symbol on it, and everything distorts, and you probably, like, stumble backwards. Like, literally, your reality has collapsed and that mm -hmm. nothing feels real anymore. How do you react to that? I think it would be pretty, like, just like a, a shock, a, a moment of pain, probably, like a pained cry. I mean, I imagine you stumbled into us. Yeah, yeah we can yeah. yeah. catch him and ah. try to steady him. Do we do we see like sort of what he saw in terms of the door, like w the warping, or do we just sort of see him fail yeah. at trying to just grab at the door to open it and then stumble back into us? Yeah, you see the the latter. You see him kind of just fail at trying to grab the door. Don, 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 are you all right? <sighs> yeah, the it, it moved. It moved. It it it, it the whole I. I went to open the door. I, I was. Nah, I don't. I perhaps one of you. Uh, oh, um. I mean, I'll. I don't. Oh, uh, I. Francis is gonna step forward. She's gonna close her eyes and she's gonna try to do the same thing where she had her skirt in her hand and she's gonna try to open it, not looking. So, Francis, you reach out and you feel your hand grasp the handle of the door. And you pull it open, and through the doorway, you almost don't even need to make any movements. As soon as you open the door, all of you step into another world. One with a white sky and pulsing black stars. And you look up ahead, and the masked man is standing in a skiff in a lake just off the shore pulling his way toward the horizon. And in the boat, along with the man, is kind of a dazed, but now conscious, Celeste. And as you enter, the man looks over his shoulder at you, and then down to Celeste, and he simply says, Sing. And she begins to do so, her voice more beautiful, yet also eerier than you have ever heard it before. And Francis, as you look out at this scene, you see that the ghost appears to shimmer and waver as if he's kind of phasing in and out of existence. And you think that he's potentially somewhat vulnerable in this like weird transitional state of this lake, that, that, that on the other side of the lake is another world, and that, he, that because he's in this transitional state, he's potentially vulnerable. But you're all kind of overwhelmed by the singing of Celeste, and we are going to move into combat. Yeah. And so, um, I don't know how much you remember about combat in this system, but but it's a it's a simplified version of Gumshoe. And so, each of you will choose a fighting spend, and you will basically get to describe you. You'll each choose a fighting spend. You will, as a group, decide on a goal, and then you will really only get one roll. And so, it's less a an action by action uh, fighting system as it is kind of a. You roll, you see whether you are gaining the advantage or the other person is gaining the advantage, and we kind of describe what's happening as that's happening, and then we'll kind of see what the outcome is. But the first thing we're going to do is to choose your goal, which I think was a, a point of um, <laughs> <laughs> a point of humor last, last time, but I think uh -huh. there are actually significantly more options this time that are relevant. Mm -hmm. So let's let's go through the, the, the goal options. All right. Topple is one of them, right? Yeah, yeah that's mm -hmm. that's true, and potentially a relevant option in this case. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so kill is is one of your options. Render helpless is another option, though one that I'm guessing you're probably not going to choose in this case. <laughs> uh, gain surrender is also an option. Uh, beat up, another option, probably not that relevant in this case. I mean, tempting though viscerally tempting <laughs> block 
probably not uh, particularly relevant in this case, unless you want to try to get ahead of the skiff and, and block him from going <laughs> yeah, don't on. Don't see how that's going to be possible, but yes. Um, drive away, another option, probably not that relevant right now. <laughs> Just like, yep, keep going, you're fucking keep going. <laughs> get out of here, I don't want to see you around here anymore. See, I was picturing a car, beep, beep. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, there is these two options I think are interesting: escape and escape with a captive. Oh, could oh. potentially be something to consider in this case. Um, gain an item, probably not relevant here. Overrun, maybe. Um, and topple is the is the final option, which maybe uh, maybe a choice here. here. Knock them over, right? Knock them over. Yeah. So like into the water. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. But if we can kill him, wouldn't we want to kill him? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. I think there's mm-hmm. three options. I think there's yeah. kill, escape with a captive, and topple. I really, I don't know what else we mm-hmm. could do besides those three. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have to kill him. We we have we, we uh, if he topples, then he'll get back up and he'll keep trying to do this. The only thing about toppling him is if that's goal, if that's a goal, and we get him in the water. Killing him, we're all we have all have to shoot him now in a moving skiff. We're not. Are we? How close are we? He's just he's just off the off the shore. So, you know, you could he's in range. You can you can definitely pull out your guns and shoot. It just he might also be unkillable. <laughs> just But he's vulnerable in this moment, you see. Yes, true. But this is uh, the game logic. Until he reaches the other side. <gasps> I mean, I think Donald would want to kill. I think that would be his his choice, but I th- I think that I, we I could also like I feel like that would be Monty's choice as well, to be honest. I'm actually curious about that for Donald, because I, I'm wondering what role this like this weird similarity with Celeste, the fact that you found out that she was so mm-hmm. terrified. Like, do you think, do you, I, I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely curious, do you think killing the man in the mask or saving Celeste is more important to Donald right now? Ooh, oh. Probably mm. saving Celeste, and I think that he would probably, though, because he's not using his rationality, would most likely, now judging by the things that he's done over the poor, the past two seasons now, would be, I'll, I'll, I have to save her and I'm going to save her by putting a bullet in his head. Like that's mm-hmm. his, his, every time there's been like a shoot or do or ask questions situation, he's just pulled the gun out and started shooting. So I think that while he would think C- Celeste was like the primary goal, I think he also at the same time would probably be like, yeah, but so let's kill him. Let's just get rid of this guy. Right. I, I mean, that's for Monty as well, like, or just for me as a player observing this, my first thought was, okay, if we can kill this guy, I don't know if she's there out in deep water yet, we might be able to wait out and grab the skiff Save and pull her. back yeah, in, can, yeah. or get some other basic means of getting out under the water to get to her. We probably we have to get him. He's the yeah. one piloting the skiff away, so we have to deal with him and frankly he seems too dangerous to keep alive so. we could i mean we could use the the only thing is escape with a con or a, a captive and it's like we could do that but first of all i have to imagine that's going to be a more difficult uh check mm-hmm. even though like killing him is maybe he's unkillable mm-hmm. but like getting there getting her off the boat getting her with us not a, not in any way like it's a lot dealing with him just getting her out and go i feel like if we're engaging we need to engage with him first yeah yeah I agree. I agree. Because I, th- I think as long as he's around, she's in danger yeah. anyway. Yeah. We found the, the wasp in the room, and it's this guy. Mm-hmm. And we got to get rid mm-hmm. of that wasp. All right. So kill is, it sounds like it's kill. Sounds like, sounds like uh, in the Maybe famous words violence. of Francis Anderson, uh, <laughs> the kill train is chugga chugging down the track. <laughs> toot toot. <laughs> okay. So uh, the next step is for all of you to choose your spend. And so this is going to be a fighting spend. You choose how mm-hmm. much you want to spend. I've got six. I'll spend three. Okay. My fighting is five. I will spend five. Mm. Nice. And I will get a minus one to this check from my glass yeah. shards. Ooh. Those old shards. Francis? My fighting is six. I think I will also spend five. Okay. All right. So we are going to... For 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 it says in the book for for drama's sake I can go in um I can go in ascending order versus descending order and so we're gonna start okay. with Donald and okay. so Donald I want you to tr- just describe for me a little bit like what is it you know you you come out onto this into this other world you see him starting to 
kind of guide the boat across the lake. He turns to Celeste and says, sing. What do you do? I think the first thing I do is, uh, I think Donald would remember. First of all, I think that he's thinking about his sister. I think he's thinking about Albert. I think he's thinking about the kids from the first. I think he's just thinking about all the times where he hasn't been able to save somebody and he's he's choked or he's he's missed a shot or whatever the person's disappeared and i think he's just with nothing but pure rage and anger probably just picking the gun up and just sh starting to shoot at this guy all right so go ahead and give me your fighting roll add three okay here we go four four plus three four plus three yeah seven all right so celeste starts to sing and it's this haunting sound. And I think, Donald, in your head, you are starting to... Her voice is starting to mix with what mm -hmm. you remember of your your sister's voice. Mm -hmm. And I think images start to flood into your head of her and of the moment you realize that she wasn't where you thought she should be. You look up at that portrait in your in your family's foyer and you see that she's not there and you you're almost lost in the sound of Celeste's voice. But then you look up and you see that the ghost has started to unhinge his jaw. It's like he's trying to take off the bottom part of his mask, but as he does it, it starts to kind of pull down as if this like huge burst of sound is going to come out of it. And you you see now that the mask isn't a mask at all. It is, in fact, his face. Mm -hmm. And his jaw starts to unhinge. And that's when you pull out the gun and you start firing over and over again. And the man kind of swipes the bullets aside. But he didn't... You do. It seems like you've slowed him down a bit from what he was attempting to do. You've at least mm -hmm. distracted him. Yeah, Monty, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna come to you next. You see him. He's he's kind of unhinged his jaw. He swipes these bullets aside. What do you do? I mean, I think that because of the sort of the nature of how this is occurring, I think that he drew. Probably he drew his weapon shortly after, like just almost at the same time that Don did. Um, and Donald was firing. And I think Monty just started firing just a split second afterwards, uh, just attempting to kind of do the, the same thing here. Sorry, so I actually missed one thing. So before we, before mm -hmm. we get to that, um, mm -hmm. the more powerful creatures, uh, they, they take a toll on you even if you don't um even if you mm -hmm. even if you succeed on your roll mm -hmm. so this creature has a toll of three and so donald i need you to remove three points from any combination of athletics fighting and health do you have three points that you can remove from some combination of athletics fighting and health yes all right so please remove three points from some combination of that and you will you will suffer no other ill effects. Okay, let me do that right now. Then the looks on Emily and uh, Tommy's <laughs> faces right now bad. make it make it seem as though they maybe don't have three. <laughs> but we will we'll oh, get boy. to that. We'll get there. Oh boy, we're gonna. What die. is it? Fighting, <laughs> athletics, and and health. Francis, I forgot about the toll mechanic. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so Monty, go ahead and roll me your fighting check with a plus five, minus one. Mm-hmm. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. Oh, I rolled no. a one. No, no, uh, no. So, total of five. Oh, God. Montgomery Hog, we hardly knew ye. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think my in my mind, he had to sort of steady himself and lean down, including, like, putting more pressure on mm. the leg that has all the shards in it, and it just, it's like... The searing pain as he fires the bullets. How dead is Monty Hogg? That's yeah, the like, is he the deadest man ever? <laughs> just kind of dead. I was feeling so optimistic. We did so well against the chandelier. All right, folks, the toll part is going to be real bad, I think. That's, well, so, that's going to be the killer. So in my reading of the rules, it's not super clear to me. But what it seems mm -hmm. like to me is that if you don't succeed 
you don't take mm-hmm. the toll, you just mm-hmm. take the injury, right? The toll is yeah. for if mm-hmm. you succeed, it's the it's the minor that, bumps yeah. and bruises that you get otherwise. It's a buff, okay. it's, it buffs it, yeah, I guess. Mm-hmm. And so, so, tell me again, you, you rolled a, you rolled a one, plus mm-hmm. five is six, minus one is five, one is five, correct? Yeah, basically, yes, exactly. It was just the, the amount that I spent, essentially, was the, the total of the roll. And that momentary pause, maybe just that momentary pain in your leg as you lean down and put some plant some of your weight down on it, allows the ghost to start to sing. And in addition to kind of adding to the the haunting duet that both his and Celeste's voice now combine into, there are visible distortions of sound that blast from his mouth and they sweep your bullets aside and they also they fall over you and start to burn your skin. And so you are going to take the minor injury card Keening of the Damned. Oh my. Minor? <laughs> <laughs> Keening of the Damned. Shock. Continuity. Whenever you hear music or a loud or strange sound, minus one to presence tests until the next interval. Discard at end of any scenario by spending two composure. All right. So where does that leave you card wise? One shock, two injury? I have one shock and two minor injuries. Okay. One more injury and well. And well, everything's fine. And so Francis, at this point... There's like a almost a gale force wind of sound and physical wind blowing over the three of you. And you've seen these two, they shoot their bullets and the, the bullets are swept aside. And Celeste's voice is growing stronger just as the ghost's voice is growing stronger. And it, it's, it's as if kind of almost a tsunami has started to build in this lake, propelling them across. What do you do? Okay, first a question. I think I mentioned this long, long ago when we first got this gun. I had decided that Frances wasn't carrying a gun all the time, but she was carrying a knife all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm wondering if in this in the second where she sees those bullets not able to get there, she might try to do something with a knife instead. Would that be... Absolutely. Okay. In this moment, second question... What's the possibility that she could leap ahead and try to get within a physical range to swipe with a knife? We're in a very strange world. I think I think it works. World. Okay. And so Francis starts running along the shore and just as you kind of as your feet hit the water, you jump out to try to land on the skiff. So go ahead and roll me your fighting test. Um, and I will say that as as the two of them are singing and as I start to take those two steps, I am going to be looking at Celeste and I will just, with no expectation that it's going to help anything, she will just cry out, Celeste, please! And then she will do her thing. So let's see what happens with a plus five. And a knife. Well, that's a two plus five. So that's a seven. So Francis jumps and you're almost picked up by these gale force winds that are swirling around and you black out for a moment. The sound and the sound of the wind and the hellish voices are almost so overwhelming that you lose vision for a moment. And I think it's at that moment that you cry out to Celeste and you you kind of reach out your hand, the one that doesn't have the knife in it, and you think you're sure that you are going to fall into this lake and be swept up by the tsunami. And then you hear you feel your hand clasp around someone else's hand and you open your eyes And Celeste has caught you and pulled you onto the skiff. And the ghost looks down and kind of swipes at Celeste in anger. And it gives you the opportunity to thrust the knife up below his jaw. And you knock him off the skiff. 
and the entire world around all three of you begins to collapse. The stars start falling from the sky, the water is pushed aside, and you see the ghost who's now bleeding from this knife that's up through his jaw is almost, is like sucked across the lake away from you. And so you and Celeste are on this skiff. I'm grabbing her back. Monty and Donald are on the shore and this world around you is collapsing. And you look ahead and all you can see is that open door that seems to be leading back to the corridor. What do the three of you do? I think I would probably, with Monty's foot being as it is, I mean, I think that Don would probably immediately try to go into the water to get, to help get the two off the skiff and to the shore. If the world starts collapsing, I don't think he's going to run out the door. Is there any indication, looking back at the door, that the door itself is moving or closing in any way? It's not closing, but it does seem as though the world is, because the world is kind of collapsing around you, if you don't get back through it, you're going to be consumed by this other world as well. Okay. Can I also, from where I am, can I grab whatever pole he was using to, like, punt and try to push us back towards Mm -hmm. the shore at all? Yep. Do I make any headway? (laughs) You do, yeah. You you think you reach the shore and you're able to kind of help Celeste okay. up who's been kind of knocked uh, a little a little dazed by the ghost. I'm not letting her go. Yeah, I've got her. Yeah, because Don came over to help them off the skiff then and so I'll just pick Celeste up and start. we'll just start going to the door. I'll, I've got her. Fast as we can. I'm helping no, Monty. Yeah. Two of you can just carry her. Yeah. Yeah. Help Monty, Francis. I've got her. I've got her. I, I grab onto Monty. I, I, I let Celeste go. Donald's got her. And I'm gonna try and help Monty as fast as we can to the door. And the four of you make your way through the door, and without any of you touching it, it slams closed behind you. And after what felt like hours, but only moments of this cacophonous sound of the singing and the whirlwind, everything is silent. And we're actually going to just cut things right there. That is the that is where we are going to end this part of the story. But as this game suggests, and as as I, I gave you all the opportunity last time, I'm going to give each of you the opportunity to, to for a little bit of a coda. Mm. I want you to just think for a few moments about over the next week, two weeks, month or so, how does how do each of your characters respond to this moment? What what do you do? What happens? So I think what Donald would do would be, I think that he would, you know, obviously check in with Celeste, make sure everything was okay, go check on Grandpa, all that stuff. Uh, but I think he he would, one night, uh, he would ask Monty to go out and just get a drink, just us, just, no, you know, just kind of, we're not going to worry about all that nonsense, we're just going to go out and have a drink. So that's where they are, a week ahead, um, and... and uh, how was how's the foot, Monty? Feeling better? Well, still, it still pains me a bit, but I think I uh, was able to get out most of the uh, the shards. I went to our friend, the doctor, and uh, he was able to assist. Oh yes, the VD doctor. I remember him. <laughs> That's where this all began, isn't it? I believe so. Began for me before that, Monty. But I think you know that from our conversation. Uh, I. I have at the time more of the understanding of what happened to my sister, to know where she is, or or how she got there, or why she is, or whether she ever... But when we went through that door on that day, and, and we were in that uh, whatever that was, that world that we were, that collapsed around us, and Francis saved us all that night. I was overwhelmed by only one feeling, aside from fear and, and relief at the end of it. I, I had the overwhelming sense that if I was ever going to figure out what happened to my sister, I have to go back. I don't know how, I don't know when or where or why, or, but I think I have to go back. And I, I think that's, that's where, if I'm ever, if I ever did have a sister, I think that's where she is. Don, you asked me um, before that uh, horrible experience down below the opera house. Uh, you asked me uh, that if, if uh, 
You did not make it if I could find your sister. Now, for whatever it's worth, we both made it. But do you still want me to help you find your sister? I could never ask you to go back into whatever that was. But I'm not going to stop you if you decide you want to. Mommy will just order another drink for each of them. How about those tinctures? (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry. I have some. (laughs) They're going back to Carcosa, folks. Can you believe it? (laughs) It's going to happen. It's just, it's actually, it's not unlike the ending of when um, we played Call of Cthulhu and our characters just went off to Africa together at the end on a safari. What about for Francis or Monty? I think at some point over the next few days, um, Monty will uh, go to Francis at some point and just say, uh, regarding everything that happened back there, all of that... um, Unpleasantness. All of that unpleasantness, uh, to put it mildly. You were uh, incredible, number one. Um, And number two, I should never have doubted you when you wanted to go and speak with Celeste out and I think had you not done that um, we we would not be standing here today so um, I'm sorry Monty I, I I think in the moment I was saying it to Donald but it's that cliff you know we if you're two inches from the edge of a cliff the only way out is forward or backwards sidestepping only gets you so far I don't think any of us knew what we were doing. I don't think any of us knew the right thing to do. I don't think I could have gone up there if I didn't know that the two of you were standing outside and watching. Francis, I, while I agree, I will say, from my own observations, you have an uncanny ability to seem to know what the right thing to do is. And I trust you with that. I... Francis kind of... kind of smiles. Thank you. Um, thank you for saying so. I think six months ago I felt very lost. And I felt... I felt like I didn't know what to do with any of it. And I can't tell you how much seeing how terrible you truly are at painting apples in a bowl (laughs) helped me every single day. And like, and she does actually reach out and she grabs your hand and she says, I genuinely mean that. I, it means, you too. They were pretty awful, weren't they? They were quite bad. Have you ever seen an (laughs) apple? I mean, they're, they're, they're not that hard. (laughs) Perhaps they can invent a new, uh, a new type of painting for me. Instead of still life, it can just be called dead. <laughs> I feel like for the moment we've seen our fill of dead things, but um, you never know. Artistic innovation always happens where you least expect it. How about you? For, how about for you, Francis? Francis is going to essentially adopt Celeste. Um, she is not abandoning mm-hmm. that girl. Like if I don't know what Celeste needs, she may well at this point need a place to stay. And Francis is happy to bring her into her home and offer whatever support Celeste may need. And whether that's to have a stable base as she wants to continue to try to sing, or if she wants to be sent to America and try to sing there, Francis will write her family and say, you'll never guess this incredible talent I found. Sponsor her. But she is going to to take it on her shoulders because she told Celeste that she was going to be there for her and she wouldn't be alone. And I think she is going to do everything within her power to to follow through on that to the best of her ability, whatever that means. I think at some point, maybe the two of you are sitting, having a cup of tea again. Maybe you've <laughs> started, to, started to paint her portrait. And she says, Francis, you know, I almost didn't reach out it's funny there's i feel that when particularly when you're a woman in the world but i think it's true for everyone you find a lot of closed doors and the trick of the world is getting a sense of which ones to open and 
the fact that you opened your door to a stranger at one in the morning. I think it saved my life. I think it saved the life of my friends. And I am forever grateful that I met you. When you jumped to try to save me, as strange as it sounds, in that moment I felt that the safer decision for me would be to let you fall. Why was that? Why why did I feel that way? I mean, that's always safest for ourselves, isn't it? If we're on anything like solid ground, reaching beyond that, that's perilous. I'm glad you didn't. I... I don't know. You know, you told me that night you didn't know who that man was, and that the safest thing to do would be to stay far away. That was correct. Good instincts. And I think... I think had you not reached out in that boat, had you stayed, had you kept singing, I don't know what would have happened. For all I know, you'd still be on a boat, singing some sort of terrible duet until the end of time. It's easier that way, but I don't know. Sometimes you have to jump and hope that somebody will catch you. Thank you for catching me. She just kind of nods and thinks for a moment and says, I'm glad I opened the door too. And that is where we are going to end our story for now. Paris, September 7th, 1895. Frances Anderson was delighted. She was strolling through the Faubourg Saint-Germain district. The sun was shining, and she was on her way to deliver a finished portrait of Duchess Orraine de Rudier to the subject of the portrait herself. And though she hadn't mentioned her worry to anyone, a weight had been lifted from her shoulders that morning when she had looked at the finished portrait and had seen no mask covering the Duchess's face. As she arrived at the Duchess's home, Frances felt a pang of guilt. She and her friends had not told the Duchess that they had found her husband's body rolled up in a set backdrop in the heating ducts of the Palais Garnier. It would have taken far too much explaining about things that no one should know about. The Duchess seemed fine with her husband's disappearance anyway, but Frances couldn't help but feel bad about misleading her all the same. Frances knocked and was let into the manor house by the butler. The Duchess was not home, it seemed, but she had asked that the painting be brought to the gallery on the second floor. Frances knew the spot well. It was the same location where, just a week before, the Duchess had sat for the painting of the portrait. Frances was sure that this piece would be a real step forward in her career. She was so pleased with how it had turned out, and the Duchess's connections were extensive. Just a few mentions to some of her society contacts could mean more requests for portraits, and then, who could say? Frances was daydreaming about her future in Paris. A future that didn't include black stars, white skies, nor any masks on portraits or people as she made her way into the gallery. When she realized that she had arrived, she shook away the reverie and looked around for a spot to hang the portrait, and her blood ran cold. As her eyes made their way around the room, she saw portraits of both the Duke and Duchess from various times in their lives, along with depictions of their parents, grandparents, and even older ancestors, portraits that had been painted over decades. And in every one of them, the subject was staring back at her, their face covered with an expressionless, pallid mask. Paris, September 14th, 1895. The lights were low in the dreary bar where Montgomery Hogg sat, alone, staring around at nothing in particular. It was late, but Monty didn't have a drink in front of him. His mind raced, but he wanted to keep his head clear at least for a few minutes, just to think. He'd have a drink soon enough, and then another, and another, until he couldn't think anymore, but not yet. Monty had tried to compartmentalize his experience last February and the events leading up to it that he hadn't mentioned to a single soul. They were connected somehow, he was sure of it. Finding his handwriting in the apartment of a madman confirmed it. And though he hadn't found any ties between himself and what had happened at the Palais Garnier, at least not any direct ties, he was sure that they were connected. Monty looked down at the table in front of him, lit only by the dim candlelight of the votive that sat there, when he noticed a drink that hadn't been there before. Absinthe. 
It wasn't his drink of choice, no matter how popular it was with his peers, though Monty had certainly partaken from time to time. It got the job done. But where did it come from? That's when he noticed her, a pale, dark-haired woman sitting across the table from him, just looking at him with piercing eyes but saying nothing. She was wearing a dress that Monty thought was green, though it was hard to tell in the darkness. She wasn't beautiful, per se, but she had an indefinable allure that kept Monty looking into her eyes, saying nothing. She too had a glass in front of her, and she raised it in a sign of good health. Monty considered for a moment before doing the same, and draining his glass in one. When he looked back, the woman had taken a sip. She closed her eyes, seemingly savoring the taste of the alcohol, before returning them to Monty. Montgomery Hogg, she said. A popular man where I'm from. It is quite the honor. I have something I must discuss with you. I am Casilda. This podcast was created using the Yellow King RPG by Pelgrane Press and is based on an adventure written by Robin D. Laws called Ghosts of the Garnier, both used under the Pelgrane Press limited community use policy, along with the music from the Yellow King Suite written by James Semple. Our intro music was composed and produced by Jean-Luc Bouchard. You can find more information about the nature of my game podcast at NOMG Podcast on Twitter and Instagram or at nomgpodcast.com. To support us on Patreon, please visit www.patreon.com slash nomgpodcast.